You're listening to the Veritas Podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. We're helping move the hearts and minds of more college students to believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, find us on social media at Veritas Como. We hope you're encouraged by this message. So uh, March 11th, 2011, just before 3 p.m., uh, a 9.1 magnitude earthquake struck Japan. Uh, it was about 231 miles northeast of Tokyo. One of the largest, if not the largest, one of the largest earthquakes to ever hit Japan. So large, in fact, that it caused a tsunami with 30-foot ocean swells, 30-foot waves that would eventually crash into the coast, swallowing up houses, businesses, cars, sadly even people, as it obliterated the coast. One of those coastal communities was the town of Otsuchi. It was a town that had been around, it had been standing, it had been well established for nearly a century, a hundred years but it was demolished in about 30 minutes. This is, a, this is an aerial view of the town about a week after. As you can see, most of what's there is destroyed. And what do we do when something like this happens? Where do we go? Well, for a lot of people in this community who were left to pick up the actual pieces of their lives, they went to a garden. The same garden, in fact, because in this garden was a phone booth. This is a picture of the phone booth in the garden. It's a white glass pane phone booth. And inside this phone booth, it's difficult to see, there is a phone. Now, this phone is known to locals as the wind phone. And that's because this old school rotary phone, it doesn't actually work. See, it never rang with incoming calls. Its outgoing messages didn't travel through its cords. But that wasn't a secret. Locals didn't go to this phone to make actual phone calls. That's not why they went. The reason they went is because this phone booth was a place of refuge. It was a place that they could process what had happened, a place that they could process their grief, their frustration, their fear, their anger. It was a place that they could go in private and they could express because in Japanese culture, it's difficult to share how you're actually feeling. But here in this secluded private place, they could share their hopes and dreams for what was left of their lives. There's a podcast on NPR. There's actually a documentary, I think. Uh, I didn't watch that, but I listened to the podcast. And, and to be honest, it's tremendously sad because you, you hear they, they've got footage, actual recording person after person coming to this phone booth inside a garden in a town that's mostly destroyed by a tsunami caused by an earthquake. Person after person. Why? Why come to this, this phone booth? Well, in their own way, several of them said, because we don't know where else to go. When hard came in their life, they didn't know where else to go. Where do we go when life gets hard? Where do you go when, when life gets hard? Not, not tsunami destroys your town hard. None of us have probably experienced that. But, but how about when, when life hands you lemons hard? When, when reality doesn't meet expectations? When we don't get what we want or, or someone challenges our identity or, or questions our worldview or what we think and feel? What, those things are hard, right? Where do we go when that happens? When our lives are hard, when your lives are hard, where do you go? What do you do? 
maybe to ask the question a little bit differently. What does our, what does our culture tell us to do? What does our culture tell us to go? I said a few weeks ago that I love working with college students, and, and that's because I love this season of life, the questions, the experiences. I, I, I love college, but I also know that college can sometimes be hard. College can sometimes be confusing because among many things, you have like a thousand voices shouting at you all day, every day. They're shouting at you. They're competing for your allegiance. They're, they're telling you what to think and, and, and what to do and, and what questions to ask. And they're not even just telling you what questions they're asked. They're telling you how to answer those questions. Sometimes they're not even your questions, but they're telling you that these are the questions you should be asking. And most of the time, the answers they give for their own questions, well, they're completely different. And so where do we go when life gets hard? Well, it, it kind of depends on who you ask, who you're talking to. Some people in our culture, they wouldn't say it explicitly, but, but I think indirectly they say, you know, when life gets hard, just escape. Just escape. Escape into what? Into social media, into mindless internet scrolling, maybe even good things like working out. Just escape. Others in our culture, they say, just turn inward. Self-focus, self-care, be selfish, take time for yourself. Do whatever you need to do as long as you need to do it. Maybe hype yourself up, remind yourself why you're great, focus on all the good that you've done. Increasingly, it seems like, like one of the responses that I see from our culture, that, that when hard comes, whatever hard is, is, is that, that you and I, we're told we should just shut it off, cut it off, shut it out. Whatever it is that's making life hard, just cut it out. If it doesn't feel good, cut it out. If, it doesn't, if you don't like it, cut it out. If it makes us uncomfortable, move on. Others tell us what? To distract ourselves. Binge Netflix, social media, school, work, relationships, sports, hobbies, you name it. Whatever takes your mind off, whatever that thing that's hard in your life is, do that. Distract yourself. Some would say put on a front. Pretend like it's okay. Tough it out. Find the strength within yourself just to get past whatever that hard thing is. And then, of course, we can't deny the reality that, that some are saying, again, maybe not as much explicitly, but, but, but implicitly, just forget it all. Forget it all. Binge Netflix. Forget it all. Have sex. Forget it all. Spend your time drinking and smoking and, and overeating and, and online shopping, whatever it is, because that will help you deal with the hard. That will help you forget whatever is hard in your life. It actually reminds me of a student that was in Veritas. True story, girl in Veritas a few years ago. Uh, she, she was in a pretty serious relationship, uh, you know, kind of the kind where you think that this is the one, right? Uh, maybe you've been there, and, and you know how the story goes. They broke up. Guy broke up with her, and it wasn't good. It, it sent her into uh, legitimately anxiety and despair and eventually depression, and it, it got so bad for her that, that she started to, she needed to see a counselor, uh, I'm pro-counselors. I think counselors are great. I've been through counseling myself. But the problem with this particular counselor is that the advice that this counselor gave her on a college campus here in town was that what she needed to do to, to get past her boyfriend, she needed to go out that weekend and sleep with a couple guys. Because then she'd forget about him. And if she just went out and partied and, and slept around and hooked up, then, then she would eventually forget about him. And, and eventually, the apparent anxiety and despair and depression would just go away. She'd just forget about it. It's a true story. She told me that herself. And if I could be really honest, that's part of my own story. 
again, as cliche as it might sound, you know, in, when I think about, you know, the things that, that I've done in my own life, you know, my experience in high school, I, I had the proverbial one, right? Like, I thought that I loved this girl. I thought that I was going to get married. What 17-year-old really knows that they're going to get married? But anyway, that was me, right? I thought that I was going to get married to this girl, and she broke up with me. Not to be dramatic, but it crushed me. And it sent me into this, genuinely, it sent me into this tailspin of, of drugs and alcohol and more girls. Party after party, weekend after weekend, lie after lie, just to cover up all the things that I was doing. Just to escape the pain of, you know, teenage romance. I wasn't a Christian at that time. I, I became a Christian later. Uh, but that certainly didn't mean that I got it all figured out because in college, the stress and anxiety of school, I was an engineering major, I was, I was pretty active and involved in my fraternity. The stress and anxiety for me, what that did is it led me to a little blue pill called Adderall. And what Adderall did is it, it helped me to pretend like everything was okay, like I could just work and work and work hour after hour. I could just take a pill and I could crush a study session in 10 hours. It just helped me forget about it. It helped me pretend like it was okay, like this stress and anxiety that I was feeling, I just needed a little pill and it would all go away. And fast forward to, to post-college, I get married to my wife, Noelle, and um, a couple years into our marriage, uh, Noelle gets pregnant. And this is before Lily. Um, and if you know, uh, Lily's my oldest. And so what happened was uh, Noelle had a miscarriage. Uh, we lost the baby. And to be honest, um, I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know what to do. I, did, I didn't know. I, obviously, I'd never dealt with that before. I, I, and so what I did is I just shut myself off. I didn't know how to process it. I didn't know how to talk to Noelle. It sounds, it's true, though. I didn't know how to process it. I didn't know how to talk to Noelle. I just closed myself off emotionally, which, of course, didn't work. It just made things worse. But I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know where else to go. I just turned inward. I imploded inward, to be honest. Now, I know that that's a little bit heavy, right? So I'm not trying to hit the gas pedal too hard. But, but the reality is true. And, and my point in saying all this, and it's true for all of us, is that when hard comes our way, when hard comes our way, when hard comes to you and your life, we're all going to have to make choices about where to go, what to do. Jesus said the same thing a couple thousand years ago, except he, asked, he said the same thing in the form of a question. And to be honest, it was a question that, that I think is going to make us a little uncomfortable. It made people uncomfortable in his day too. It comes at the end of a, a long passage, and so we've got a bit of work to do to get there. But, but let me set up. So we're going to look at John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, uh, what we see at the beginning of the chapter, we see this miracle of Jesus. He feeds 5,000 men, we're told. In all actuality, it was probably more like 10 to 20,000 if you include women and children. But, but Jesus feeds, miraculously, 20,000-ish people with a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. He, he multiplies them so that all the people there, thousands, tens of thousands of people there, eat their fill. If you're at the crossing this past weekend, Keith preached on that sermon. It's a great sermon. If you don't have a church, uh, I would encourage you. The crossing's a great church. Uh, if you missed that sermon, check it out. It's really good. We'll overlap a bit, but I want to focus more on, on the end of this passage. And so we're going to pick up here in verse 25. This is what it says. When the crowds found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, just means teacher, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you. When Jesus says very truly, he means listen up. 
because what he's saying is important. Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. See, it's interesting that, that Jesus knows, they ask him a question and Jesus knows what they really want. They don't want him, they want what they think that he can give them. They wanted the sign. They wanted the, the material, the physical, the, the benefit that they thought that they could get from Jesus. But Jesus was there to give them himself. But that's not what they wanted. But Jesus wasn't done because he keeps going and he says this. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, it's just a phrase that Jesus loved to use to talk about himself, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, on me, Jesus said, God the Father has placed his seal, seal of, of acceptance, seal of approval. This is kind of interesting because the, the, the disciples, they ask Jesus a question, right? They say, hey, when'd you get here? And, and Jesus, I suppose this is where the phrase comes from. He kind of Jesus jukes them, right? He doesn't answer their question at all. He does this often. Jesus, people ask Jesus a question. Jesus doesn't really a- answer the question they're asking. And that's what happens here. They say, when'd you get here? And he starts talking about working for food that spoils versus working for food that lasts. And then he goes on in verse 35. It says, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and you still do not believe. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And yet, as I told you, you've seen me and still some of you do not believe. Just as an aside, I was thinking about this verse earlier. And I, you know, one of the things that I hear quite often I'll hang out with someone, grab lunch, coffee, whatever it is. And, and, and people, uh, you know, will say to me, like, Kyle, I have such a hard time believing in Jesus. You know, to be honest, people in the first century, people in Jesus' day, they had it pretty easy. They could see Jesus. They were with Jesus. They rubbed shoulders with Jesus. But I, I can't believe. I can't have faith. I can't trust because I can't. If I, if I could, I would, but, but I can't, so I don't. And But what's really interesting here is, Of course, in Jesus' day, people saw Jesus all the time, were right in front of him, and yet didn't see who he really was. They stood right in front of Jesus, and yet they still didn't believe in him. Instead, they they, they grumbled. At this, at Jesus' teaching, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Okay, so you get what's happening, right? So here, let's do this. Just imagine you go home tomorrow. You're at your house, your apartment, your fraternity house, sorority, whatever, dorm floor, wherever you are, right? Your roommate comes in and says, hey, I just want to let you know. You know this person. You've been around this person. You know the person. Hey, I just want to let you know. I came down from heaven. And of course, you would look at that person like they're a crazy person, right? No, you didn't. I know where you're from. I know what city, I know your mom and your dad, and I've seen pictures of your house. You didn't come down. That's what they're doing. Jesus, no, you didn't. We know your mom. We know your dad. We know your house. We know your town. Stop with this came down from heaven nonsense. But Jesus doubles down. Stop grumbling among yourselves, he said to them. Jesus answered, very truly, listen up. I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. 
Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. Manna is just bread. This is a story from Exodus in the Old Testament. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, me, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. You see what Jesus is talking, it gets a little weird, right? But what Jesus is doing here is he's foreshadowing, he's talking about his eventual crucifixion. He's talking about his eventual death on the cross. His body, his bread, his life, it's going to be given what? Why? So that those who believe will live with him forever. Jesus is going to give his life, he's saying, so that the world may believe in him, through him. Whoever believes in him will have life with him one day forever. Now, the the disciples, they don't like this, right? this This is some weird stuff. This is some challenging stuff. And so this is what they say, or this is what we read. On hearing this, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Gosh, Jesus, what you're saying is hard. Who on earth can accept this? This is hard, Jesus. What what you're saying is challenging. What what you're saying, Jesus, gosh, I just don't know. I don't know if I can accept it. Now, my guess is that we can empathize with that a little bit. We can empathize because, again, I, I think we probably know the feeling, right? Maybe you feel like that now. Maybe you have felt like it in the past. Sometimes we hear what Jesus say. Maybe we read the Bible. We read what, what Jesus teaches, but, but we just don't know if we can believe it. We hear it. We see it. People talk about it, but man, I don't, that's hard. I just don't know. I don't like, I'll take that, but I don't, Jesus, what you're saying is hard. And that's true. Sometimes what Jesus has to say to us, we don't like that, right? But sometimes what Jesus has to say to us, it's hard to hear. It's hard for us now. It was hard back then. Aware that his disciples, Jesus is aware that his disciples are grumbling about all these things. Jesus says to them, he turns to them, he says, does this offend you? Does what I'm saying offend you? Then what if you see the son of man ascend to where he was before? What if you see the son of man ascend to where he was before? See, what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, look, here's the deal. If, if what I'm saying is offensive to you, if you think that it's offensive that I call myself the bread of life, the bread that's come down from heaven, the, the, you know, eating of me will satisfy you. If you think that's offensive, just wait. Because, because remember, he already talked about his, his crucifixion. But just wait, because one day I'm going to die on a cross. And then you know what? I'm going to rise from the grave. I'm going to rise from the dead. I know you think that dead people stay dead, but they don't. Because I'm going to walk out of that tomb three days after I die. And then a few days later, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to ascend in bodily form. This is what the Bible teaches about Jesus. I'm going to ascend. Jesus ascends bodily to heaven where he came from. Now, maybe that sounds bizarre to you. It was for sure bizarre to them. And it broke, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. They just couldn't take what Jesus was saying. And sadly, this is what we see happens next. From this time, many of his disciples, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. From that time, they turn back and no longer follow. Crowds upon crowds when Jesus is doing miracles. Crowds upon crowds when Jesus is giving them things, when, when Jesus is feeding their bellies. But when Jesus starts teaching about something hard, what do they do? They leave. They walk away. 
Now, I don't know about you, but, but that's kind of sobering because this doesn't say like people on the periphery, people that didn't really know Jesus just decided he wasn't worth it. This is disciples walked away from Jesus because what Jesus was saying was hard. It's not what they wanted to hear. And so they stopped following. And, and the reason that I say it's sobering is because I think that reality, it challenges us to ask. It challenges us to reflect ourselves. Are we in danger of that? Am I in danger of that? Are you in danger of that? Jesus saying hard things and you saying, nah. uh Jesus saying something that we don't like, something that we don't want to hear, and us saying, you know what? Yeah, I've been doing this, but yeah, it's not worth it anymore because that just doesn't. See, remember what I said earlier, when, when hard comes our way, not if, but when, when hard comes our way, we're all going to have choices we're all going to have choices to make about where we're going to go, what we're going to do. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that because when everybody else is leaving, he turns to his disciples and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? So he saw the crowds leaving and then he turns to the 12, his inner core, his closer friends, his closest followers. He says, look, you're not going to leave too, are you? You don't want to leave, do you? Now that's the question. That's the uncomfortable question that, that Jesus had for, for them then, and it's the uncomfortable question that Jesus has for us now. And it's not just a question that we get to say impartial to. It's a question that every single one of us has to answer. And the reality is how we answer that question, it shapes the trajectory of how we live our lives, what your life is going to be like, what my life is going to be like. You see, when Jesus has something hard to say in your life, where are you going to go? Are you going to leave too? See, people left. Why? Because Jesus wasn't who they expected. What Jesus had to say was hard. It, it challenged their assumptions about him. Earlier in the passage, we see that, that what they wanted of Jesus was a, a political Messiah, a political ruler. But Jesus didn't come to be that kind of king. They wanted what, what Jesus could give them. But Jesus wanted to give them himself. But that's not what they wanted. Jesus wasn't who they expected. He's not what they wanted. And because he wasn't who they expected, he wasn't who they wanted, he in turn became offensive. And when Jesus became offensive, even to disciples, they turned and left. They walked away. You see, they don't like being offended any more than you and I like being offended. None of us like being offended, do we? Raise your hand if you like being offended. No one makes me think of a, uh, an article in the Atlantic a few years ago. Uh, maybe you saw it. It turned into a book now uh, called The Coddling of the American Mind. And uh, in the article and certainly in the longer book, uh, the authors, it's fascinating. It's hard to read because it's talking about us. It's talking about college students. Uh, you, not me. Uh, at one point, me. Uh, right? But it's talking about college, these, these authors. What they do is, is they start exploring how kind of in the name of emotional well-being on college campuses, college students are increasingly demanding protection from words and ideas and phrases that we don't like. We want protection from ideas that we don't like. We want protection from words we don't like. And we don't just want protection. We want punishment for the perpetrators. Here's one of the quotes from, from the article. It says this, A movement is arising to scrub campuses clean of words, ideas, and subjects that might cause discomfort or give offense. See, every single one of us, we've probably said it, but we've certainly heard it, I'm offended, Right? 
It's become this kind of unbeatable trump card in our culture because everywhere you go, someone somewhere is offended about something. Someone's always offended. Maybe sometimes that's even us. We're, we're always offended. Why? Well, I think there are lots of reasons why. I think there are lots of things to say, but I think one of the things, one of the reasons why we're always offended is because we all crave comfort. We all want to be comfortable. We want what we want when we want it, and when we don't get it, we move on, or we get frustrated, or we get offended, or, or we lash out, or we, we tribalize, whatever. We want comfort. The problem is, that makes following Jesus really hard. When we crave comfort, when we live for comfort, that makes following Jesus really hard because Jesus didn't come to make us comfortable. Following Jesus isn't gonna be easy. Following Jesus doesn't make us comfortable. In fact, just the opposite. This is what Jesus says about following him. Whoever wants to be my disciple, follower, whoever wants to pledge their allegiance to me must self-promote, no, not self-promote, deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You see, self-denial in a culture of self-promotion, it's hard, isn't it? Jesus is calling us to self-denial when our culture tells us to self-promote. It's hard to live the way that Jesus is calling us to live, and yet that's what he's calling us to. It's uncomfortable. C.S. Lewis, he said it like this. He, he said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of wine would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Jesus. If you want to be comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Jesus. If you want comfort, Jesus isn't your guy. Let me fine point that just a bit. If you came here tonight thinking that, that Jesus, what Jesus wants for your life, that, that Jesus' primary agenda, primary goal for your life is to make you comfortable, then you're going to leave disappointed because that's not why he came. And you're going to be offended because Jesus always offends people in a culture who can't see who he really is. Jesus is always going to be offensive to people who want his stuff more than they want him. And because Jesus is offensive, because a, a culture of people finds Jesus offensive, even disciples sometimes, we don't like being offended. And so we're going to walk away. Or at least we're going to be in danger of walking away. And Jesus knows that. That's why I think he's asking, it's why he asked and why I think he's asking us that uncomfortable question. Do you want to leave too? If you're following Jesus right now, do you want to leave too? Because Jesus has some hard things to say. See, I, if I could just be honest, I, I think sadly the reality is that some of us, the answer is, if it's not yes yet, we're, we're pretty tempted by it. Yeah, maybe it would be easier. Yeah, I, I, I'm just not getting what I want. Man, my, my friends are starting to treat me weird. My family, you know, it's hard. Maybe I do want to leave. Maybe I do want to walk away. Maybe, maybe you've had that decision. Maybe you've made that decision. You just haven't said it out loud. You're here with a friend, but you just haven't told them yet. Yeah, I'm not really into this Jesus thing. I get it. But I think you've been tricked. I think you've been tempted. I think you've been fooled into thinking that there's a better place to go, that there's something better to focus your energy on, focus your effort on, dare I say, worship instead. There's a story in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first uh, book of the New Testament. And, and in this story, it's, it's early in Jesus' ministry, so chapter 4. It's early in Jesus' ministry, and Matthew tells us, Matthew's one of Jesus' closest friends. He's one of the 12 disciples. 
He tells us that, that Jesus is, is led out into the desert, out into the wilderness. And while he's in the desert, uh, the, the devil, Satan, comes and tempts him. Jesus fasts for 40 days, 40 nights. Satan comes to Jesus, and he says this to him. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus, I know you're hungry. Just tell these. If you're God, just tell these stones to become bread, and then you'll fill. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see what Satan's doing? Jesus, you, you've got to be hungry, dude. You haven't eaten in 40 days, man. Why not just make these stones bread? Just, just, just turn the stones into bread, and then you can eat and probably take a nap after that because that's what you need. See, it, it's a trick. It's something that Satan loves to do. It's something that, that Satan loves to, to do in our lives, your life and my life. He wants us to focus on the wrong bread. He wants us, he wants you, he wants me to focus on, on the bread of YouTube or, or the bread of self-care or the bread of alcohol and sex or, or sports or relationships or, or hobbies or online shop, whatever it is. Satan wants you to focus on those things, me to focus on those things, to think that those are the things that are going to make us happy. Those are the things that are going to satisfy us. Those are the things that, that's where we're going to find life. That's what Satan is whispering in your ear. But not according to Jesus. Not according to Jesus. No, Jesus says man shall live. Woman, man, all of us live on bread alone. Not bread alone, sorry, that's not right. <laughs> I'm going to read it. Man shall not live on bread alone, but, but every word every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of God, not bread alone. See, according to Jesus, what you and I need most, what we were created for, where life is found, true life, real life is found, is in him. Not some other bread. You guys remember uh, Firefest a few years ago? Anybody? Yeah, maybe not. Okay. Uh, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, Firefest was, it was promoted as this luxury event, right? Like it's this crazy party, unbelievable event, um, created, curated, uh, you know, world-renowned musicians, artists, celebrity chefs, et cetera, et cetera, all the booze, big party, everything you can imagine is going to be on this, I don't even remember where it was, some private island somewhere that Ja Rule and, and I think the other guy's name was Billy McFarlane, they, 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 apparently rent. People paying like $200,000 for this thing, right? They think they're going to roll in on private jets. They're going to have luxurious transportation, oceanside villas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's supposed to be the, the party of a decade, the experience of a lifetime, except Firefest was a dumpster fire, right? It wasn't the party of a lifetime at all because most people, they didn't arrive on, on private jets. They, they got delayed on commercial flights, they didn't have luxurious transportation. They rolled around in yellow school buses. Those oceanside villas, well, yeah, they're, they're, they stayed in leftover FEMA tents from a recent hurricane. This is where they stayed. That food, that unbelievable food from, from celebrity chefs, well, it turned out to be that. I think it's a cheese sandwich with some lettuce. Not exactly appetizing, yeah? Okay, why am I talking, Kyle, why are you talking about Firefest? Here's why I'm talking about Firefest, and you're going to think I'm crazy, but I think that this is a picture of what Satan wants to do in your life. I think that's what Satan wants to do in your life. I think he wants to trick you into thinking that when you go somewhere else other than Jesus, that you're getting something that you are not getting. 
He wants you. He wants me. He wants us to focus on the wrong kind of bread. He wants you to settle for nasty cheese and lettuce when Jesus is offering himself the bread of life that lasts for all eternity. Satan wants you to hear and read and see Jesus' word, but he wants you to completely miss who he is. He wants you to to think mostly about the things that that you want from Jesus instead of wanting Jesus himself. He wants you to fixate on the ways that Jesus is offensive to your your modern sensibilities. And of course, he's going to do anything, everything he can to trick you, tempt you, fool you into getting you to leave. That's what he wants. He wants us to leave. Turn our backs and go. Music team, go ahead and come back. See, I'm not up here trying to say that following Jesus is easy. I'm not pretending that it is because, in fact, it's the opposite. Following Jesus, following Jesus is hard. If you've been following Jesus very long at all, following Jesus is hard. And if it's not, then maybe you aren't actually following Jesus. It's hard to follow Jesus. And when that hard comes, whatever it is, whatever it looks like, when Jesus speaks into your life and confronts and challenges, whatever that thing is, probably sin, when Jesus confronts that, we're going to have choices about where we want to go. See, see, remember that Jesus asked the disciples, do you want to leave too? Look at how Peter responds. It's the very end of the passage. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, Jesus is asking, do you want to leave? And Peter's response is, where are we going to go? Where are you going to go? See, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're not there yet. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. Keep coming. Keep coming. Maybe you've got lots of questions. Awesome. This is the place for you. Maybe consider joining a small group, coming to Camp Bear's House with us in a couple weeks. But wherever you are, regardless of where you are, my hope and prayer for all of us is, whether we're here in person, we're listening later online, is that we would increasingly see, that we would increasingly believe that there is nowhere else to go. There is nothing better, that no one else can satisfy us like Jesus can. Because in Jesus' life, true life, real life, the life that you and I were created for, Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, make sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow us on social media at Veritas Como. Thanks again for listening.